Ahoy, motherfuckers. Welcome to this episode of Hindsight. As always, I'm joined by Brandon, the best in the business. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I got to watch one of my favorite movies. Um, <laughs> and it's still one of my favorite movies. It, you know, I forgot this weekend was Juneteenth. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Perfect timing. Right. Like we didn't plan it out this way, but we are okay with it. This week, we um, had the honor in the midst of uh, Quentin Tarantino month to watch what may actually be his second best work. I mean, people generally say Pulp Fiction is his finest work, right? Like that's undisputed. Mm -hmm. I watched this and I've watched Kill Bill and you know how I feel about Kill Bill, but I watched this movie and I was like, I'm feeling, I'm, I got that H town in me. I want that old thing back. I'm watching this movie and I'm like, well, you know, this, this might be it. Um, Django Unchained. Um, Django came out in 2012. And yes, I know we talk about movies that came out when we were kids and we we're young adults, but 32 is young motherfuckers. Y'all need to deal with it. All you 18-year-olds who are listening to the show, first of all, thanks. Second of all, why? Third of all, uh-uh. 32 is a mid-age, young adult. You don't become an adult till you turn 40. And then it's too yeah. late. How Well, I can't even ask how old you were when you first saw the movie. You were obviously... <laughs> I was 32. How old were you? Uh, when did this come out? 2012. So that's... Nine years ago, mm -hmm. so I was 24. Whew. This movie came out on Christmas, didn't it? I don't remember when it came out, but I know I saw it day one. Yeah, this either this one, I think this is the one that came out on Christmas. Uh, I wanted to say The Hateful Eight did, but I didn't see The Hateful Eight until a couple days after it came out in theaters. So this one came out on Christmas, and mm -hmm. I went and saw it Christmas Day. Like, I was 32 years old, and once again, I left the fucking kids behind. <laughs> There's something about me and Tarantino that need, we need alone time. But I left my beloved wife. No, I take that back. I didn't leave my beloved wife and kids. They went to my mother-in-law's house for Christmas to open up gifts and all that kind of shit. And so while they were over there opening up gifts and eating nasty-ass honey ham, yes, I said it, niggas. If y'all eat that ham with the fucking clove stuck in it and the, the pineapple slices and all that kind of stuff, we are not on the that. same level. Mm -hmm. We ain't, we ain't eating off the same plate. Y'all niggas is gross. I don't eat that at all. <laughs> Big ass, mm -mm. thumb slab size pieces of meat with clothes mm -mm. stuck in it. <laughs> mm -mm. Oh, God. Um, But went and watched the movie and sat there and just like laughed. I laughed and I, 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 the reason why I laughed is because when I first saw the movie, I realized from the gates that the movie's a fucking comedy. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it's a, Revenge flick, kind of like Kill Bill, but it's a revenge flick for slaves, and it's a comedy. Like Django says in the movie, I get paid to kill white people in fucking 1858. What's not to like about that? Excellent point. So, uh, first of all, I do want to say, fuck Harvey Weinstein. I always have to say that for the record, because he's always a part of these movies. Um, and... This movie was set in, like I said, 1858, which was two years before the Civil War, uh, somewhere in Texas. Uh, Christoph Waltz and uh, 
Jamie Foxx are the two lead characters in this. Kristoff plays uh, Dr. King Schultz. And Jamie plays Django, who is a uh, former slave from the... Um, well, he's a former slave. He used to live on a plantation with his wife. Um, the Cochise, or some, I forget the name of it. I, I should go look it up, but Google it, bitches. I ain't got time. Um, but he lived on there with his wife until he tried to escape. And they caught them. Um, and they put, they branded him and his wife with an R on their cheek uh, for runaway. And by making his wife, by branding his wife with an R for runaway, she's now no longer able to be a um, house slave. Um, she's never was an outdoor. Uh, I'm just going to say worker. I hate saying slave. Um, no, fuck it. She, she was never, uh, meant to be an outdoor slave and now she can't be a in, she can't be a house slave because of the branding on her cheek. So he's scared that she's going to become a comfort girl. Mm -hmm. Uh, but when Dr. King Schultz finds, uh, Django, uh, at the, on the road back to the spec, uh, plantation, I suppose. Um, he asked the, 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 you know, the specs, how much are they selling Django for? And the specs are dumb. That's what you want to know first about this movie. Every white person in this movie is stupid. I love like, it. Every single one, except for Dr. King Schultz, who was on the side of black folks. Every single one is dumb, including uh, Calvin Candy, the primary villain played by Leonardo DiCaprio. He's he's an idiot. He's dumb enough to fall for what they're about to do to him until the black guy in his um uh, in his employ employ ha <laughs> uh Stephen hips him to the plan that uh, Dr. King Schultz and 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 Django are, are are pulling on him. The game that they're pulling on him. Um, but the specs are like, yeah. Nah, you you talking kind of fast. You using big words. We don't like it. We ain't selling them. Stop talking to our slaves. We ain't here for that. And uh, pull out a gun on uh, King. And he's like, yo, I think you pulled a gun on me on accident. <laughs> <laughs> and the dude cocks the shotgun. And he's like, we were having a conversation. You pulled a gun. Oh, you pulled, you're, you're cocking it. Oh, okay. And shoots uh, this dude, Ace Speck, square in the head. Uh, and then after he shoots Ace in the head, he turns around and he shoots his brother, his brother's horse. He shoots his brother's horse in the head. So his brother's horse falls over and crushes his brother's leg underneath it. So his brother's leg is now shattered. The horse exploded. Everybody explodes in this movie. Mm -hmm. Kill Bill is a movie where the blood is cartoonish, but the blood in Django Unchained is explosive. Like people get shot and fly back. So Brandon, I'm going to bring up some old shit that you may not want to remember, but I know that there was trauma behind it and I apologize. There was, there was a, uh, So I don't know if you remember, but back in uh, because I, I I tried to block it out, but then I went back and listened to all the episodes recently. And uh, back in October last year, 
for Horrible Movie Month, we watched this movie called Dead Heist. Yes, I will never forget that. And there was there was a section where the cop gets shot by a shotgun or by a pistol. No, by a shotgun. It doesn't matter. And he flies like 50 feet. Mm-hmm. Everybody who gets shot in this movie does that. And what was horrible in uh, Dead Heist becomes comedic here because of the people it's being done to. Um, but yeah, when Schultz initially meets uh, the Speck brothers, they are so fucking disrespectful to him that he's like, yo, he kills Ace. He leaves Roscoe underneath the crushed leg. He goes and he talks to Django. And he's like, yo, if I take you to... Um, if I take you to see these brothers, the Brittle brothers, would you recognize them? He was like, yeah, I'd recognize them. So he says, I want to pay for this slave. They won't do it. He shoots Ace. The other one, Roscoe, the, the, horse, falls, the horse falls on his leg and crushes it. Uh, King goes to Django and says, hey, I, I, he unchains him. Django unchained. And he's like, you should go get the coat from that um, Dega over there. He ain't going to need it. And the other brother who's still alive is like, don't you let that nigger touch my brother's coat. Dead nigger touch my brother's coat. And uh, King is like, well, fellas, here's where we're at right now. Um, Y'all could do two separate things. Uh, You can either choose to uh, help this guy if you want to. Or you can murder him and be free by the way if you choose to murder him there's a north star right there i see it when it comes to the subject of what to do next you gentlemen have two choices one once i'm gone you could lift that beast off the remaining speck then carry him to the nearest town which would be at least 37 miles back the way you came or two, you could unshackle yourselves, take that rifle, put a bullet in his head, bury the two of them deep, and then make your way to a more enlightened area of this country. Choice is yours. Oh, and on the off chance there are any astronomy aficionados amongst you, the North Star is that one. Ta-da. I would have made the same decision they made. Look right at him. Now, wait a minute, fellas. Let's talk about this. You got to be reasonable in a situation like this. I'm not a bad guy. I'm just, I'm just doing my job. Blueberry, didn't I give you my last apple? Tell you what, boys. Take me to the dock in El Paso. I'll get you your freedom. No. No, please. That just lets you know where we're starting from in this movie. Shooting slave owners. It's such a beautiful sight. So the next thing that happens is that Django and um and King go to the next town. Um and when they get to the next town, everybody they're they're riding in. Uh King is on his in a cart 
uh, Django is in a um, riding his own horse. Everybody's staring at him. <clears throat> King's like, why is everybody staring at us? Django's like, they ain't never seen a nigga with a, on a horse before. <laughs> Somebody true. says, what's that nigga doing? On a, is that a nigga on a horse? He's like, they ain't never seen a nigga on a horse before. So they go into the local inn and uh, order two beers. And the innkeeper says, we're, we're just opening. Uh, come back in a bit. By then, we won't be serving beer. But we'll be serving breakfast. He turns around and he sees Django, uh, a nigga in an inn. <laughs> and he's like, you can't be here. And he's like, well, go tell if you bout it, bout it. And he said, as he runs off, King says, don't get the uh, the marshal. Be sure to get the sheriff. Mm -hmm. So then while he runs off to get the sheriff, uh, King talks to Django and he's like, look, I, I know that I, I purchased you uh, for all the purposes I hate the idea of slavery, but I kind of need you. So you're my slave for a while, okay? What kind of dentist are you? <laughs> Despite that cart, I haven't practiced dentistry in five years. But these days, I practice a new profession. Bounty hunter. You know what a bounty hunter is? No. Well, the way the slave trade deals in human lives for cash, a bounty hunter deals in corpses. Prost. The state places a bounty on a man's head. I track that man, I find that man, I kill that man. After I've killed him, I transport that man's corpse back to the authorities. Sometimes that's easier said than done. I show that corpse to the authorities, proving yes, indeed, I truly have killed him, at which point the authorities pay me the bounty. So, like slavery, it's a flesh for cash business. What's the bounty? It's like a reward. You kill people, and they give you a reward? Certain people, yeah. Bad people. Ah, badder they are, bigger the reward. Which brings me to you. And I must admit, I'm at a bit of a quandary when it comes to you. On the one hand, I despise slavery. On the other hand, I need your help. If you're not in a position to refuse, all the better. So for the time being, I'm going to make this slavery malarkey work to my benefit. Still, having said that, I feel guilty. So, I would like the two of us to enter into an agreement. I'm looking for the Brittle Brothers. However, at this endeavor, I'm, I'm at a slight disadvantage insofar as I don't know what they look like. But you do, don't you? I know what they look like, all right. Good. So here's my agreement. 
you travel with me until we find them. Where are we going? I hear at least two of them are overseeing up in Gatlinburg, but I don't know where. That means we visit every plantation in Gatlinburg till we find them. And where we find them, you point them out, and I kill them. Did you do that? I agree to give you your freedom, $25 per brother brother, $75. And as if on cue, here comes the sheriff. Sheriff comes in looking all cool, calm, and collected. <laughs> Dr. King comes out acting like he's going to shake his hand. Nigga has a fucking revolver in his wrist. <laughs> That's the most amazing thing. How right? he pulls that thing out so quickly. So quick and accurate. Django and Dr. King are two of the most accurate motherfuckers I've seen in movie history. They never miss. And he hits him square in the heart, and the sheriff falls into the street. A woman faints. Everybody screams and runs off. The sheriff is like, why are you scaring these good folks by having a nigger in there who rode in on a horse? <laughs> Comes out there, shoots him in the chest. Everybody runs off. Dr. King turns to the innkeeper and says, now you can go get the marshal. <laughs> he runs off to go get the marshal. <laughs> <laughs> Django's like, can't we turn ourselves in? He's like, no, we got business to take care of. As a matter of fact, I, uh, under the United States government, has protected me, and I, I, I'm a. This is my job. Like, let's go ahead and 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 parlay this. And so he goes out there with his um, with the warrant for the bounty for their their sheriff dead or alive because their sheriff is actually a cattle rustler um and he's like yo you can call up uh judge loudermilk of austin texas and he'll back up what i'm saying otherwise are you gonna pay me <laughs> and so they let him go they roll out and um next thing we find out is that uh django is married to broomhilda also known as Hildy. Uh, and they ran away from the Karukin plantation. That, that was the name of the plantation. They ran away from the Karukin plantation uh, because Karuka, the Karukins didn't believe in marriage for slaves. Uh, unfortunately, they got caught and Karukin sold them to two separate plantations, had them both branded. Broomhilda speaks German. Her full name is Broomhilda von Shaft. Is that what her name was? I missed that part. Yep, and Quentin Tarantino has said that Broomhilda and Django are supposed to be the great great grandparents of Shaft. What he said that? Yep. <laughs> and so they. Uh, let me see if I can. Well, I'll find it when we're doing the uh, doing the. Uh, trivia part but he um when they get to the next plantation or when they get to the plantations um Django would be playing the character of a valet oh by the way uh Quentin Tarantino revealed at Comic-Con that uh Django and Broomhilda are meant to be the great 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 grandparents of the character John Shaft from the 1971 films there we go 
Uh, Django was playing a valet uh, for King and chose a horrible ass outfit for himself. It's like, the worst. The worst fucking thing. He looks like <laughs> George Washington in the velour suit. <laughs> George Washington Carter, my nigga. Um, but they pull up at Big Daddy's plantation. And Big Daddy's played by Don Johnson, best known as the white dude from Miami Vice. He had a gun, oh, I knew him well. And when he shot, oh, that man he never missed. Right on King Rock, you get your name. It's against the law for niggas to ride horses in this territory. This is my valet. My valet does not walk. I said niggers on horses. His name is Django. He's a free man. He can ride what he pleases. Not on my property. Not around my niggers, he can't. My good sir. Perhaps we got off on the wrong boot. Allow me to unring this bell. My name is Dr. King Schultz. This is my valet, Django. And these are our horses, Tony and Fritz. <laughs> Mr. Bennett, I've been led to believe that you are a gentleman and a businessman, and it is for these attributes we've ridden from Texas to Tennessee to parlay with you now. I wish to purchase one of your nigger gals. You and your Jimmy rode from Texas to Tennessee to buy one of my nigger gals? No appointment, no nothing. Oh, I'm afraid so. Well, what if I was to say I don't like you or your fancy pants nigger, and I wouldn't sell you a tinker's dam? Now, what you got to say about that? Mr. Bennett, if you are the businessman I've been led to believe you to be, I have 5,000 things I might say that could change your mind. Come on inside and get yourself something cool to drink. <laughs> also, side note, did not know Jimmy was a slur. Jimmy? Yeah, he said, uh, I don't give a fuck about you or your Jimmy on the horse. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't know that either. <laughs> Or maybe, while we discuss business, you could provide one of your loveliest black creatures to escort Django here around your magnificent grounds. Oh, well, absolutely. Uh, Bettina. Yes, sir, Big Dad. Uh, what's your Jimmy name again? Django. Django. Bettina Sugar, could you take Django there and take him around the grounds here and show him all the pretty stuff? As you please, Big Dad. Oh, Mr. Bennett, I must remind you, Django is a free man. He cannot be treated like a slave. He, uh, within the bounds of good taste, he must be treated as an extension of myself. Understood, Schultz. Bettina Sugar? Yes, sir. Django isn't a slave. Django is a free man, you understand? You can't treat him like any of the other niggas around here because he ain't like any of the other niggas around here. You got it? You want I should treat him like white folks? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> He pointed at her. No, <laughs> he pointed at her the way that uh, Red's daddy pointed at Diva on Friday. Yep. No. 
It said it quick too. You want us to treat like white folks? No. No, I do not. Mm -mm. Oh shit. You want I should treat them like white folks? No. <laughs> That's not what I said. Then I don't know what you want, big daddy. Yes, I can see that. Also, also, and I just noticed this shit. His voice goes from having an affected uh, southern lilt that he had all the way through to being his normal Don Johnson voice when he says no. Check <laughs> this out. Understood, Schultz. Bettina Sugar? Yes, sir. Django isn't a slave. Django is a free man, you understand? You can't treat him like any of the other niggas around here because he ain't like any of the other niggas around here. You got it? You won't I should treat him like white folks? No. <laughs> That's not what I said. Then I don't know what you want, big daddy. Yes, I can see that. Uh, what's the name of that Pecklewood boy from town that works with the glass? Uh, uh, his mama work over at the lumber yard. Oh, you mean Jerry? That's the boy named Jerry. You know Jerry, don't you, sugar? Yes, I'm big daddy. Well, that's it then. You just treat him like you would Jerry. So I didn't know if that meant he was being told to. She was being told to treat him like a little white boy, or what? But, um, but the funniest part of that whole little scene comes up when she's describing everything or Bettina's describing everything in the area to uh Django so I'm gonna play this last piece real quick um because I just thought it was a classic hey, hey, scene all his dead meat polar squirrels what you do for your master didn't you hear him tell you I ain't no slaves so you really free yes I was free you mean you want to dress like that <laughs> I'm just saying we was all thinking it but Tina just said it um, but he's like uh, can you point me to where uh, John Brittle is and she's like yeah John Brittle's over there about to uh, whip Jody uh, for dropping some eggs I'm not sure why <laughs> he, he I don't know what he, uh, maybe because he never had a choice with clothes before and he was like, I'm going to put this on because this don't look like nothing I ever wore before. This is what high society looks like. <laughs> but I don't think none of his masters probably dressed like that. So I'm not sure where he got that idea from. Me either. But I mean, the first time I was about to eat whatever I wanted from a restaurant and nobody was like, you can't order that. The first thing I ordered was a fish, a filet of fish from McDonald's instead of getting a steak. So <laughs> we live and learn. Um, but he goes and he finds John Brittle. Uh, John Brittle is the one, who, the uh, overseer who, when he and Hildy got caught running away, uh, John and Little Raj, Little Raj was the one who whipped um, Hildy and John, uh, Django was, was begging him, like, please uh, don't brand her if you brand her she's gonna she, she she ain't gonna be able to be a, a good house slave anymore and um with me instead because you know she's look at her she's gonna be less valuable they're gonna be mad at you for doing it and john looked at him and said i like the way you beg boy so he finds john who for some reason has a a page from the bible stapled onto him 
stapled onto his onto the yeah, chest that of was, his shirt. That was funny. And he's sitting there working, practicing his whip, saying Bible verses. And Django walks up and he's like, "You remember me?" And he shoots him in his chest. And he's like, "I like the way you bleed, boy." And then he turns around and little Roger right there behind him. He picks up the whip that John just dropped and starts whipping little Raj half to death. And then he unloads his entire clip in little Raj's face. Uh, he tells Bettina, go tell uh, the, the, the man I was with that I need to talk to him right now. And King comes over there and he's like, oh, I see you found him. Um, Can you and- imagine being a slave? And seeing a black person roll up in that outfit with a gun and then just gun down some white people and then whip the shit out of another white person. Can you imagine being a slave and getting whipped by a white person and like maybe five, six months later, you able to come back with a gun and shoot that motherfucker? (laughs) I can't imagine it. Like I said, happy Juneteenth, people. <laughs> Take the shackles off my feet so I can dance. I just want to shoot you. I just want to shoot you. Um, but then uh, Big Daddy shows up and he's like, what the fuck are y'all Everybody doing? Everybody calm down. We mean no one else any harm. Who are you two jokers? I am Dr. King Schultz, a legal representative of the criminal justice system of the United States of America. The man to my left is Django Freeman. He's my deputy. In my pocket is a warrant signed by Circuit Court Judge Henry Allen Laudermilk of Austin, Texas, for the arrest and capture, dead or alive, of John Brittle, Roger Brittle, and Ellis Brittle. They were going by the name Schaefer. You know them by the name of Schaefer, but the butcher's real name was Brittle. These are wanted men. The law wants them for murder. Now, I reiterate, the warrant states dead or alive. So when Mr. Freeman and myself executed these men on site, we were operating within our legal boundaries. I realize passions are high, but I must warn you, The penalty for taking deadly force against an officer of the court in the performance of his duty is you'll be hung by the neck until you're dead. (laughs) Dude, put that gun down. Mm -hmm. I ain't ain't down for that shit. May I please remove Mm -mm. one from my pocket? Not killing cops in the 1800s. (laughs) Blue lives matter in the 1800s. And he wearing blue, Django. So he shows uh, Big Daddy the warrant, and they walk off. Uh, but it turns out Big Daddy uh, don't much like being told what to do. And he's with the group called the Regulators, who is um, the precursor to the Ku Klux Klan, uh, historically. And so after Django and King leave the plantation and go uh, on their way, Later that evening, while they're resting in the middle of a a valley, uh, Big Daddy and his regulators come to ride down on them. But like we said in this movie, all the white people, with the exception of King, are in a, are as inept as fuck. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino gets a lot of flack for niggas' use in his movies, mm-hmm. but he went out of his way in this movie to make every white person horrible, stupid, or both. 
throughout the entire movie and and one good white person and it's like if you, and it's basically like to white people if you're watching like to the white people watching it it's like yeah um you may all think you identify with king but there's a reason why i made all the rest of them that way <laughs> exactly and the one who is not that way is the one who wasn't brought up in this land because mm-hmm. king schultz is from uh germany mm-hmm. which also christopher um Christopher Waltz was uh, the villain in uh, Inglorious Bastards. So the first time I saw him was in Inglorious Bastards. The second time I saw him was in this. And I have been a big fan of his ever since. Because in Inglorious Bastards, he played a uh, Nazi lieutenant. In this one, he plays a man who's coming to literally help avenge and free slaves. He freed quite a few slaves quite a few because what happens after this scene is they end up killing big daddy long story short so now all of his motherfuckers is free too well i don't know yeah because i mean the family is still there and all i guess i'd rise up i just saw a black man shoot somebody with a gun i can do that Mm mm-hmm Big Daddy, we heard he got killed along with his regulators. Let's see what happens next. Now, unless they start shooting first, nobody shoot them. That's way too simple for these jokers. We're going to whoop that nigga lover to death. And I'm going to personally strip and clip that garboon myself. Damn. I can't see fucking shit out of this thing. We ready or what? Oh, hold on. I'm fucking with my hole. Oh. Oh, shit. Uh, I just made it worse. Who made this goddamn shit? Willard's wife. You make your own goddamn mask. Look, nobody's saying they don't appreciate what Jenny did. Well, if all I had to do was cut a hole in a bag, I could have cut it better than this. What about yeah. you, Robert? Can you see? Not too good. I mean, if I don't move my head, I can see you pretty good, more or less. But when I start riding, the bag's moving all over, and I'm riding blind. I just made mine worse. Anybody bring any extra bags? No, nobody brought an extra bag. I'm just asking. Do we have to wear them when we ride? Oh, well, shit fire. If you don't wear them as you ride up, that just defeats the purpose. Well, I can't see in this fucking thing. I can't breathe in this fucking thing, and I can't ride in this fucking thing. Well, fuck all y'all. I'm going home. You know, I watched my wife work all day getting 30 bags together for you ungrateful sons of bitches, and all I can hear is criticize, criticize, criticize. From now on, don't ask me your mind for nothing. Now look, <laughs> let's not forget why we're here. We gotta kill a nigga over that hill there. And we gotta make a lesson out of him. Okay, I'm confused. Are the bags on or off? I think we all think the bag was a nice idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But not pointing the fingers, they could have been done better. <laughs> so how about no bags this time, but next time we do the bags right, and then we go, Wait a minute. I didn't say no bags. But nobody can see. So, 
That would be nice to see. God damn it! This is a raid! I can't see, you can't see. So what? All that matters is can the fucking horse see? That's a raid! <sighs> I can't see shit. <laughs> and so Django and uh, King are sitting up on the top of this uh, hill, looking down on them in a valley. And one of them goes underneath the, uh, looks underneath the wagon and sees a uh, what looks like a body. And they're like, he. The niggers hiding underneath the wagon, and so they pull him out or pull it out because it's not a nigga; it's a bag of dynamite. And so King shoots the dynamite, and boom goes the dynamite. A um, lot of dynamite in this movie. A whole lot of dynamite in this movie, and also very easily explosive dynamite in this movie. Um, they shoot the dynamite, and everybody scatters. Uh, Big Daddy starts riding away. Django takes him out. King is like, you're a fucking natural. After that, King offers Django a straight up partnership and tells him the uh, legend of uh, Siegfried and Brumhilde, which is um, a story that is uh, hopefully will show up on my homeboy Dustin's show, uh, Sandman Stories. He talks about a bunch of uh, foreign uh, folktales, so maybe he'll pick that one up. I'm going to ask him to later on. Um, but he's like, yo, if you help me through the winter with these bounties, instead of me just giving you, which he was offering him a paltry-ass $75 per brittle brother, he was like, I'll give you half of my killings, and then we're going to go and we're going to rescue your wife. And so they uh, get set up and they go. Um, the no, he first- told them, don't go now. He's like, you're free now. You can go get your wife now, but that's not going to work out probably the way you want. He was like, just stay with me through the winter, make a ton of money, and then we'll go get the broom holder. And so the first uh, bounty we see them working on is Smitty Bacall. And Django didn't shoot him on sight because Smitty's son was with him. So uh, King pulls out the billfold of the bounty and has him read what Smitty Bacall and the Smitty Bacall gang had done. And he was like, it don't matter what he what kind of a father he is. He's a he's a train robber and a murderer. And if you want the seven thousand dollars, you're going to shoot him in the head. (laughs) Also, all these bounties said dead or alive. And King was like, I prefer dead. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> this ain't fucking Red Dead Revolver. <laughs> like, you ain't gonna. I'm not. Somebody has a gang. I'm not gonna leave them alive on the. If you're giving me the option mm-hmm. of steak or spam, I'd be a real fool to choose spam. And if I do choose spam, I ain't choosing it twice. So mm-hmm. uh, we ain't got that much room on our horse for you to be sitting up. But if you're laying across a horse, we can fit you and your whole gang on there, which is pretty much what happens. Um, and so they they kill uh, Smitty. And so that's Django's first kill. Django is accurate as fuck. Like he's shooting bottles out of snowmen's eyes from like 20 feet away, 30 mm-hmm. feet away, um, like at a fast clip. 
And King actually tells him, you're like the fastest gun in the South, son, or fastest gun in the South, Django. He don't call him son or boy. He's really good about that. Um, he gets even more accurate, and they spend time. They show a little montage of them mowing down all these gangs throughout, uh, throughout the winter. And then in the spring, they go to fucking Mississippi. Candyland. Candyland. And every uh slave knows about Candyland. Um oh, so you've heard of it. Ain't no slave ain't heard of Candyland. Well, apparently that's where your wife is. And that's the repellent gentleman who owns her. Right. Let's just hope she works in the house, not in the field. Oh no, she ain't no field nigga. She she pretty. And she talk good too. When they tore her back up and then they burnt that runaway all on the cheek. They goddamned her. <laughs> she ain't no field nigga, but she ain't good enough for the house no more either. They gonna try to make her a comfort girl. What's a comfort? Oh. Not while I got freedom. Not while I got my gun. Right. <laughs> As long as I got a gun and I got freedom, my wife ain't going to be nobody's comfort girl. So they go to see, um, they look up the purse of Hildy. And so they go to Candyland in order to get Hildy's freedom. What they've decided to do is instead of saying, hey, we want to. Uh, well, here. Go ahead. The man walks up to the farmer's farm, he knocks on the farmer's door, and asks not to buy the horse, but the farm, and makes an offer so ridiculous, the farmer is forced to say yes. We gonna offer to buy a candy lane? No, it's far too big, but apparently this farmer ain't all about the farm. How much do you know about Mandingo fighting? What? Can you convincingly masquerade as someone who's an expert on mandingo fighting? Why? Because my character is that of a big money buyer from Düsseldorf here in Greenville to buy my way into the mandingo fight game. And your character is a mandingo expert I hired to help me do it. They call that one-eyed child. I never understood. This is the only thing I don't understand about this movie. Why didn't he just roll up and say... Hey, I'm a rich German, and I've been looking for a, a nigger slave to speak German to handle stuff on my plantation. Because uh, you saw the candy was like, you know, I'm three hundred dollars ain't shit to me, and they weren't going to spend the twelve thousand they were talking about that they were offering mm -hmm. for for Black Samson or whatever his name was. They just wanted to go in there and act like they were going to spend the 12000 but really say, and we'll also buy Hildy for 300 spend the 300 and take off with Hildy. Mm -hmm. But first I had to make him think that, okay, I'm willing to spend $12,000. And unfortunately, ain't no slaver going to say, I want to buy a uh, black woman for $12,000. There's literally no good way to say that. Mm -hmm. unless you are um, 
buying somebody to fight for you and make money off of them, there's no slave worth $12,000. But for a slave who, I mean, Calvin Candy is extremely dumb. Leonardo DiCaprio, this, this part of the movie, Leonardo DiCaprio is incredible in yes, this film. Is. Like, I don't think people understand. Like, he's he's an A-list actor. Everybody knows he's an A-list actor. But he is incredible in this film. Like, just absolutely incredible. It's like, I don't even know how to explain how great he is in this role. Um, but he plays this character of this, like, rich, gregarious, like, slave owner in Mississippi who's partly just like this super like if he wasn't a slave owner he'd be like someone you see at like the kentucky derby Mm -hmm. that's like uh has these big horses and got this big personality doing these big interviews like this jerry jones type person uh but because he's a slave owner he's also horrible at the same time and but he he plays that to it but he's not smart because he got all this handed down to him by his his daddy yep that's what I was going to say. You got to keep in mind that he's the son of a slaver. So he grew up in this. Mm-hmm. So while he's not smart, he's brutal because he's grown up where this brutality is normal to him. Mm-hmm. And so he's willing to do things that other slavers may not, may not have done. Well, apparently there are some who definitely would have done it, but he gets, they get to, he also well i will say this he also had which i think they didn't really go into detail why but he had a really interesting relationship with steven um that every time i watch this film i'm like yeah like they let steven get away with saying a bunch of shit and and it's almost like you know, I don't want to put it like this because this person wasn't a slave and Stephen was obviously a slave, but it was like a Alfred Batman type mm-hmm. of relationship to me where it was like he went to Stephen to get answers for stuff and to talk over stuff. Stephen would talk shit to him and he wouldn't do anything to him. And it was just like this. It was just like every time I watch this movie, I'm like, I don't know how to characterize that relationship. What I would think, and this is just me surmising based on what they said in the movie, was that old Ben was his father's father's slave. And he watched over, old Ben watched over his father's father and watched over his father. I'm thinking that Stephen was a kid or a younger uh, slave and grew up with or in the same time frame as Calvin's father. And so he was Calvin's father's head slave. And so he was probably part of the group that was told to watch over Calvin Mm -hmm. because the only way he's going to give that much deference to any person of color is if they had something where they were given some level of respect. And you see how he treats the black person that he likes in the house. So I'm sure that his dad probably treated uh, old Ben the same way and then treated Stephen with this level and he just grew up in it. Mm-hmm. So Calvin just, you know, 
internalize that this is the way that Steven's supposed to be treated, but the rest of them ain't shit. Mm-hmm. And so after his dad died, I'm thinking that he probably just continued on having Steven as more or less the voice of his father. Or it was that story he tells about the one in the 10,000. Yeah, and he maybe he say, thinks Steven's the one. He did not say Steven was the one. Oh, <laughs> uh, he didn't? No, he said Django was the one. Oh, yeah. But no, before that, he said Steven is like that when he was talking about Ben. Yeah. But he, well, I think when he was talking about uh, how Steven was like Ben or Steven was like that, he was talking about the three dimples in the head as far as uh, air of civility. Oh, mm-hmm. but I love this, uh, this little scene that happens right here with Mr. Mogi and uh, King and, and Django, because white folks literally think that they're above black folks when they're really right on the same fucking level. Thank you for your assistance in creating the opportunity for this appointment. Nonsense, it's my job. So this is the one-eyed Charlie I've heard so much about. Yes, this is Django Freeman. Django, this is Mr. Candy's lawyer, Leonid Moby. Just call me Leo. Calvin's in the Julius C's room. You all want to follow me? How long have you been associated with Mr. Candy? Oh, Calvin's father and I were about 11 when we went to boarding school together. Calvin's father's father put me through law school. One could almost say I was raised to be Calvin's lawyer. One could almost say he was a nigga. What did you say? I said... He's just being cheeky. Anything else about Mr. Candy that I should know before I meet him? Yes, he is a bit of a Francophile. <laughs> what civilized people are, and, and he prefers Monsieur Candy to Mr. Candy. Si c'est cela qu'il préfère. He doesn't speak French. Don't speak French to him. It'll embarrass him. <laughs> also, Quentin Tarantino did a lot of research on uh, on uh, derogatory black people names. Right? One-Eyed Charlie. One-Eyed Charlie. No clue. I, I kind of want to Google it, but I don't want to know. I did not know that was a name that was used in that time period. I don't even know what it refers to. Uh, yeah, me either. I'm looking up the history of One-Eyed Charlie, and it says a stagecoach uh, rider or stagecoach driver. Oh, maybe they think he was the right drives um that that tooth mobile around. I don't know. Cause he said when he said uh you're an expert on mandingos, he was like, Oh, you want me to be a one eyed a one eyed Charlie? And oh, yeah. I wouldn't recommend looking up what is a one eyed Charlie and then going to Urban Dictionary. Just don't trust it. <laughs> Spoiler alert, I'll tell you because I don't give a fuck. A one-eyed Charlie refers to a term of a person bending over, exposing one's anus to another. <laughs> Except instead of just mooning people, you spread your butt cheeks. <laughs> your asshole is the one eye. It's nasty. I'm not amused. <laughs> so they're going up the stairs and they walk in on a brutal brutal fight uh, between two black men. This is called Mandingo fighting. Um, And they. um, Oh, says one eye Charlie was 
Apparently a general term to refer to slaves who knew about something like farming, horsemanship, or slave fighting. Um, so an expert. White people, white people who didn't know what they were doing would buy one or hire a one-eyed Charlie to help them get started in one of these rooms. Okay. Makes sense when you put it like that. When you say it like that, okay, I can do that. Okay. So basically a, a black person who, who knows something about something. Yeah, subject matter expert. Yeah. And so the uh, two black men fight to the death. One wins. And so the um, so Calvin offers him a beer, a huge beer. And is like, well, take this, you know, and get him a, a girl to lick on his to lick him up. And so they, um, after that happens, they talk with uh, Calvin and they convince him that they want to buy a Mandingo fighter for $12,000. Calvin's like, okay. I didn't, uh, at first, you, I was curious. Now I am completely intrigued. Y'all are talking money. Let's go. Hey, y'all. This is Derek. We wanted to thank y'all so, so much for listening to our show. Right now, at this very moment, we'd like for you to go ahead and screenshot your phone, your iPad, or wherever else you're listening to this show, and send it to us on Twitter, at Hindsight Reviews. We'll post it up and retweet it to everybody else, and you could be a part of our family. Also, be sure to leave a five-star review and let us know what you think of the show wherever you listen to the podcast at. Thank you so much, and back to the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. My name is Thomas, and what's your name? Uh, I'm Alan. Alan. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. We're brothers. That's right. Yeah. yeah the mother, same mother and father. Your room was... Oh, we shared a room. Shared a room. We right. shared a room. Thought I knew your face. Yeah, we go way back, mate. Yeah. yeah. We should do a podcast then. Uh, we have. We do ever do a podcast. We do a podcast. What's it called? The Broadcast. Yeah, that was planned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what do we do? Well, we cover all different things in the world of pop culture. We're talking about comic books, we're talking professional wrestling, and we're talking about movies. Go back and watch classic retro wrestling events, the likes of WWE, WCW, and if you do like that, you can check us out on Apple iTunes, also on Podbean, Anchor, and on Podknife. Also check us out on Twitter, at The Broadcast. That's B-R-O... K-A-S-T. Hey, the ending. Hey, it's all right. Good on you. Yeah. Instagram also at the Broadcast Podcast. Remember, we don't spell it with a C. We spell it with a K. Sorry, mate. Take it easy. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve. And I'm Izzy. And this is Everything, Everything I, I Learned from, from Movies. And tonight... Tonight! Like every night, we bring you <laughs> questionable movies and pass the lessons that we've learned on to you, as well as we go over some great beer and funny third thing. Yes, we're excellent beer reviewers, and as BJCP certified beer judges, we sort of know what we're talking about in regards to that. The movies? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to hear us talk about uh, odd movies, and uh, is he talking about BJing? Woo! Uh, listen to us at eilfm.podbean.com. That's everything I learned from movies.podbean.com. Hey, honey, are you ready to pop that top? <sniffs> Woo! My top! I'm Derek, one of the hosts of Return to Oswald. 
Return to Oswald is a podcast about the iconic HBO show Oz. And we started it quite simply because my friend Brandon has never seen a single episode and we loved living through his horror. Scar, Brandon, and myself get together every Tuesday and discuss this show episode by episode, season by season. We have great conversations and nothing gets held back. We respect each other too much to lie. And we talk about how absurd this show really is when you look back at it. Like, how long is the time frame in Oz? People are getting executed within like three days of getting there. And why do they show people if they're just going to kill them within eight minutes? That did happen. And why hire so many rappers to play bit roles? Is there a quota? Why is there a direct pipeline between this show, The Corner, and The Wire? Oh, and The Sopranos. We didn't forget about y'all. Also, how does Adebisi's hat stay on? Why didn't anybody ever notice he had a CD player in his drawers? And why won't they put cameras up in that gym? These are all questions we talk about and more. So check us out. Go to Linktree backslash HBORTO to find our latest episode. You can also just type us into your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for checking us out. That's me. Fucking role model. This is Wine, Dine, and Storytime. I'm Nydia. I'm Dana. I'm Cindy. And we're your hosts. Have you ruined a family gathering by asking what wine pairs well with eating a husband? Are you the CEO of TMI? Have you ever been kicked under the table because you brought up your favorite dinner topic, atrocities throughout history? Then this podcast is perfect for you. Each week, Dana and I share stories based on topics that include true crime, historical shenanigans, unexplained mysteries, and all things fascinating, while our amateur chef Cindy prepares themed dinners and pairs wines based on those topics. Find us, the Wine, Dine, and Storytime podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and give us a follow. Mm-hmm. Also, I will say this, even though this is more of a comedy, I say this about every time I watch a slave movie or a slave era movie, slavery era movie. Mm-hmm. It's I because I'm the optimist type person. I don't want to pretend like, you know, things are great now. But whenever I watch these movies, I'm like. There's absolutely a difference between where like you always, you ever hear people like, especially on social media, they'll be like nothing's changed since slavery it's, it's still the same thing we're still mm. living through the same thing and i'm like you can have i mean in the in the macro yes we're still living in a racist world and there's still a lot of shit that's fucked up in the world but it's not the same <laughs> it's not the same and we're not and even in the comedy movie it's like yeah this is not uh this is not the life that that i live today um so um, as, as the optimistic person, I'm just always like, you know, things need to move faster and things need to get better, quicker and more. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend <laughs> like nothing has changed in 200 years, 250 years, because every time you watch one of these movies, depending on if it's a comedy or like a real serious period piece, it, anybody who takes the time to actually research and try to make it accurate to that time shows you it's not it's not the same it's not the same and i i do find that to be offensive sometimes to our to our to our ancestors to be like you know 
y'all work for all that and they shit change. Yeah, like mm, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> something changed. Yeah. Like, no. I mean, it ain't been that long since long ago since we were in this yeah. situation, but we ain't like that now. No, it's it's not where it should be, but it's not that. <laughs> Basically. So they're riding from whatever place they were at. With oh, the oh, my fault. I meant to say the reason why I said that comment was because it wasn't just that they had a quote unquote Mandingo fight. It was that at the end of the fight, he had to fucking kill that nigga with a fucking hammer. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like, all right, we're gonna see who the best. You know, we're gonna we're gonna treat these black people like they're you know like the Roman Coliseum. We're gonna put y'all in these fights and see who the biggest baddest one is. That's terrible, but you can do that without having to kill someone at the end. <laughs> you can, you can. There could be a clear winner at the end of the fight, and then everyone moves on. This one was like because the dude was like later on was like the, the uh, Eskimo Joe was like, I fought three fights and I won all three, and I'm like, yeah, I know you won all three because the one I watched, if you lost, you wouldn't be here. And he was like, yeah, but, you know, as the fights went on, that last one, you barely mustered up a win. And I'm like, I wouldn't have wanted to fight either. I'm literally killing somebody every, that's like my whole job. I'm either in the field or I'm killing people, mm-hmm. fighting to death like I'm scared, I'm hurt. I ain't getting no time to heal. You also, really- that's interesting in the hierarchy of slave slavery. And and how the how the you know the white people figured this thing out because what was the guy's name that was his number one fighter the one that we saw fight? Uh, Eskimo Joe. No, Eskimo Joe was number three. That was the one that they were going to buy. Who was the the one that was in the fight? Uh, hold on one second. They got the tall glass of the tall beer. I thought that was Fred. Like- Fred, I think that is his name. Fred was his number one guy. I don't think Fred is out in the fields. During the day, no, me neither. I don't think Fred's out in the fields, and so it was interesting. Like you saw, so Fred the fighter probably gets these. You know, I'm I'm saying all these terms relative for people who are listening. Probably gets relatively decent treatment. Stephen Stephen appears to have his own room with liquor cabin in there because uh, he's in there drinking bourbon, sitting in a big ass chair, chilling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got the the one woman. What was the woman? The black woman, Sheba. Sheba, who was dressed to the nine, who's apparently like his. I guess his. Uh, I don't know the term to use for that one, but she that apparently was his, uh, comfort girl. It, it seemed more than a comfort girl because seemed I don't like think, his, it seemed like a lover. It seemed I don't like think he was giving Sheba to other people. Honestly, it seemed like uh, how we're led to believe that Thomas Jefferson was with uh, Sally. Oh, yeah. 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 So she was in the house not doing any work. Anything. It wasn't like she was a house worker. She wasn't working. <laughs> she she was esteemed above all others. Yeah. And then, and then you have like the cooks and stuff, right? So those are the typical house workers during that time. But it's just interesting, like, even in a comedy, like I'm sure there's people who historians who watch this and be like, this isn't accurate. And that's not accurate because it's a comedy to an extent. But Tarantino did some research to try to make this feel at least authentic to the times 
in the in in the Tarantino universe world that he creates because none of his movies are a hundred percent authentic. But he went he took some time to try to like create these interesting, intricate relationships because it can be complicated during that time and how all this stuff because you know and we'll get to this because we didn't talk a whole lot about Steven because he's about to come in make his in the next upcoming scene. But you know, Steven's one of the most hated people, in particular the black people in movies mm-hmm. of all time. But I find the I find the dilemma for Steven to be more complicated than a lot of other black people do. Because I can't imagine being a slave. And then if I'm a slave and I have the opportunity to live the life that Steven lives, you got to be a really principled person not to make that choice. Yeah, you telling me not to. You, you, you. Okay, I feel where you're coming from. The for the culture folks, uh, if I have a choice between being esteemed above all others, like to the point where I'm the boss's boss, I'm telling white folks what to do. Yeah, the white folks were coming in. He's telling them where to go and what to do. Mm-hmm. The only person that he had to listen to was Calvin. Yeah, Calvin. And um, yeah, no, I, I, I you get used to doing that. You ain't gonna want to turn back. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to. I go. understand. And, and if I, he went back out, the, they'd probably kill him. Yeah, when I watch the movie, I fucking hate Steven. But yeah. then when I take a step back, I'm always like. Am I a good enough person not to be Steven if I was in that time? Here's something else that I noticed at um, the end of the movie. Like, yeah, we're jumping to the end. We'll come back. But at the end of the movie, after everybody's dead and it's just Steven and Django in the house. Steven, who's an old man, walks around with a cane, hunched over crotchety you know shaking as he goes downstairs and stuff shaking as he holds the cane between his two hands you know acting like he's infirm almost when there's nobody else in the house he drops that fucking cane and stands up straight tall and proud Mm -hmm. and starts talking shit he knows he has a role to play he knows he does and when there's nobody there to check him, <laughs> he going to be who he is. Mm-hmm. But as long as there's a pecking order, he knows that he's here on the pecking order. He ain't going up no higher, but he's going to be damned if he go down any lower. Mm-hmm. So that's what I picked up from it. Um, The next and, and also the uh, slave that they run into when they're uh, coming back towards Candyland. It, that wasn't Eskimo Joe. That was D'Artagnan. The one that they had the dogs on? Yeah, the one that they sick okay. the dogs on was D'Artagnan. Um, and they're talking. Um, Calvin is like, I paid 500 bucks for you and I only got three fights. Who's going to reimburse me for the mother uh, $200? Who's going to reimburse me for the mother fights? And King is like, I'll reimburse you. And uh, Jane was like, no, no not. you won't. <laughs> He had to play that role. Yeah, no the fuck you won't. And while I'm playing this role, do not get in my way. Like, if I tell you that this is not your world, you need to respect that 
and sit down and shut and the fuck up. I read, you know, people talk about this movie and they're like, Django sold out his other slaves just to get his broom Hilda. And I was like, people do a whole lot of shit for their wife in real life. <laughs> like that's <laughs> I I don't have a I I'm not I don't have a problem with Django at all in that no. situation. And they told him like he said I'm gonna have to the a black slave a black slaver is worse than the head nigger. Everybody mm-hmm. hates him, and he didn't want to do it. But uh, King was like, "If you want your wife back, this is the role you got to play, and I'm gonna play it to the T." So okay, at this point you. Uh, letting your empathy jump in, I'm gonna stop you. Even no reimbursement. Huh? <laughs> I'll reimburse you. You will? Yep. You'll pay $500. Practically a one-eyed old Joe ain't fit to push a broom. No, he won't. <laughs> He's just tired of you toying with him, is all. Matter of fact, so am I. But we ain't paying a penny for that pickin' Ain't got no use for him. Ain't that right, Doc? You heard him. So... Django's like, yo, I got a role to play here. And Calvin is really starting to respect game. Excuse Mr. Stone Cypher's slack-jawed gaze. He ain't never seen a nigga like you ever in his life. Ain't that right, Mr. Stone Cypher? That's right. <laughs> that matter. No have I. Now, seeing as you won't pay a penny for this picking any here, you don't mind me handling this nigga any way I see fit. He's your nigga. Mr. Stone Cipher? That marshal and a bitch has sent D'Artagnan to nigga heaven. Yeah. I don't know none of these niggas. Wouldn't none of them raise a hand to help me if I was in this situation? All I want is my wife. Mm-hmm. Can we get to where my wife is? Y'all sitting out here jaw jacking about this nigga that I don't care about. Can we get to where my wife is, please? So he sicks the dogs on them. Uh, they pull up to the house, to Candyland. And Steven comes out and sees Django. And... Another one, Samuel Jackson. Another one who was great in this film. Oh, he played it to a hilt. Like he looks like an eighty-five-year-old man who's just evil mm-hmm. and just mean, and did this perfectly all the way. Um, still, and the thing is, still Samuel L. Jackson. Ain't nothing changed, but. He come out the gate, like I said, talking angry (laughs) shit.
Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello, my ass. Who this nigga up on that nail? Oh, Stephen, you have nails for breakfast. What's the matter? Why you so honored? You miss me, huh? Oh, yes, sir. I miss you like a like a hog miss flop, like a like a, a baby miss mammy titty. <laughs> I miss you like I misses a rock in my shoe. <laughs> now I ask you, who this nigga on that nag? A snowball. <laughs> Wanna know my name or the name of my horse? You ask me. That's who the hell you calling Snowball, horse boy? I'll snatch your black ass off that nag down here in the mud so fast, make no Steven, 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 Steven. Let's keep it funny. Django here's a Freeman. This nigga here? That nigga there. <laughs> Let me at least introduce the two of you. Django, this is another cheeky black bugger like yourself, Steven. Steven, this here's Django. You two ought to hate each other. Calvin, just who the hell is this nigga you feels the need to entertain? Django and his friend in gray here, Dr. Schultz, are customers. And they are our guests, Stephen. And you, you old decrepit bastard, ought to show them every hospitality. You understand that? Yes, sir. Him, I understand, but I don't know why I got to take lip well, off this you nigga. You don't have to know why. Do you understand? Yes, sir. I, I understand. Well, good. Let's spin a knot. Go up in the guest bedroom to get too ready. Gonna stay in the big house? Steve, he's a slaver. It's different. In the big house. Well, you got a problem with that? Oh, no, no, I ain't got no problem with it. If you ain't got no problem with burning the bed, the sheets, the pillowcases, everything else when this black ass motherfucker. That gone. is my problem. They are mine to burn. Now your problem right now is making a good impression. And I want you to start solving that problem right now and get them goddamn rooms ready. Yes, sir, Mr. Candy. Go on now. Can't believe you brought a nigga to stay in the big house. Your daddy rolling over in this goddamn grave right now. It's getting worse and worse. Now, so after that, we find out that um, Broomhilda tried to escape, and so she got put into the hot box, which is literally in Mississippi, a iron, for lack of a better term, vault underground she was supposed to be in there for a week i sat i sat and thought about that for a good couple minutes last night what it would be like in the summer to be in a iron vault underground in hot ass mississippi in the summer naked for a week much that's much worse than the hole in us Mm-hmm. It's significantly worse, infinitely worse. Mm-hmm. And so they pull her out. They throw water on her, uh, get her all cleaned up, take her up to uh, King's room. King is talking German to her, uh, lets her know that um, her husband is there, basically. Like, I have a friend here who wants to meet you, and it's Django, and she faints and passes out. And I guess they make love during that time, or they re they reunite because uh, Schultz uh, leaves out. So, on the one hand, it's good that they got a chance to reconnect. On the other hand, because if she had just saw him for the first time when she was helping serve in the kitchen or whatever it may have been, she might have fainted then, and then the jig would have really been up. Mm-hmm. 
But on the other hand, she should have been able to, or he should have been able to. You don't make eyes at your target. You don't. Mm -hmm. And they just sitting there staring at each other the whole goddamn time. And um, Calvin may not notice it because Calvin's stupid, but Stephen notices it. And Calvin never Calvin standing right next to 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 Django at one point and doesn't recognize the R on his cheek or what it may be, which surprised me. But Stephen recognizes it, and Stephen knows what it means. And Stephen sees that um, Hildy has that same fucking scar on her same cheek. Mm-hmm. And so he pulls Hildy into the kitchen, and he's like, "Do you know this nigga?" She's like, "I don't know him." And he's like, well, y'all seem awful familiar. And, okay, you ain't lying to me now, is you? And she's like, no, I would never lie to you. And so he comes back out there, and he's like, hey, why don't you show um, Dr. Schultz the, uh, the the whip marks on Hildy's back? And they rip off her the top of her dress, so then you can see her back with the uh, whip scars on it. And Calvin is actually intrigued by this conversation. Like he's talking like it's actual, like science. He believes in uh, phrenology and all that stupid shit. Um, and for those of y'all who don't know what phrenology is, it's a made up science um, about the study of skulls mm-hmm. and how certain people have certain skulls that make them. <clears throat> that make them more subservient and all that kind of stuff. And black folks have skulls that are make them to be more subservient to white people. It's all bullshit. But in the midst of his sister um, screaming to Calvin, we're eating. Don't nobody want to look her whipped up back. Steven looks over at Django, who was literally about to pull his pistol and shoot everybody. And he peeps that shit. So, Stephen has Cora, the other, the head mistress, come out and um, get uh, Hildy. And then he comes back there again to talk to Hildy. I just want to say that in the small part that she had, it wasn't a small part. Carrie Washington, who plays Broomhilda, is fucking incredible. Like she always has been. She played this role the same way, like, this was Olivia Pope status to me, period. She didn't have much to do. Yeah. She doesn't. But the parts, But the parts that she has, yeah, she's I thought like, she was good. Yeah, she's like a point. She's like Steve Kerr. You ain't got to bring the ball up the court. But when we need you to shoot, you better hit it. Baby, you on Stephen's bad side, and we need to be on his blind side. You said you ain't know him. Huh? I said, you said you ain't know him. I don't. Yes, you do. Mr. Stephen, I don't. Why is you lying to me? Why did you cry? You're scaring me. 
Why is I'm scaring you? Because you're scared. But to speak German this afternoon with Hildy was positively sold and wrenching. Oh, doctor, that warms my heart. You stay right, Jim. And that's what made it all fall apart. Mm-hmm. Um, because after that, um, Steven comes back out and he's like, hey, the dessert is fucked up. And Calvin's like, we're, we're having white cake. How do you ruin white cake? <laughs> and Steven's like, uh, well, I, you need to talk with these slaves about this white cake. Um, because it's getting all fucked up and they ain't respecting my gangster. You just interrupted Dr. Schultz here. I'm sorry, Dr. Schultz. Oh, by the way, he walks in right as, uh, Dr. Schultz is about to hit Calvin with the line about, Hey, since we've already made an agreement on Eskimo Joe, can I get Hildy for 300 bucks? Stephen makes a save just in time and comes out. <laughs> My ears ain't well for damn these days. <laughs> Miss your candy, could I get a word with you in the kitchen? You mean get up out of my chair? If and you could manage it. Why? It's about dessert. What about dessert? I'd rather discuss that in private. What <laughs> white cake? What sort of melodrama could be brewing back there? You right, Miss Candy. You right. I handle it myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Put me in the library. I just can't understand why you won't come talk to these niggas. Shit get fucked up around here. You blame me. Fine, <laughs> fine, friend Stephen. I, I will be along momentarily. Yes, sir. Well, gentlemen, as you can see, talented as they are, no doubt, in the kitchen from time to time. Adult supervision is required. <laughs> if you'll excuse me a moment. So he goes into the library and clear the dinner service. The entire countenance of Steven changes. Like I know we talked about it earlier, the conversation and the way that Steven talks to him. But the way he talks to him when it's just them, you can tell that Steven is in a high place of power and mm -hmm. he ain't nobody's fool. What is the matter? Them motherfuckers ain't here to buy no mandingos. <laughs> they want that girl. <laughs> Steven, what the hell are you talking about? Hmm. They playing your ass for fools, what I'm talking about. They ain't here for no muscle-bound Jimmy. They here for that girl. What, what girl? What, Hildy? Yeah, Hildy. Her and Django. Them niggas know each other. He, he just bought Eskimo Joe. Did I... he give you any money? No, not yet, but then they Then he go... ain't bought Diddley. Not yet, no, huh? But he's just about to buy who he come here to buy when I interrupted him. Thank you, Stephen. You're welcome, Calvin. <laughs> wait, 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 you getting all this? Why would they go through all that trouble for a nigga with the, with the chewed up back ain't worth $300? They doing it because that nigga Django's in love with Hildy. She probably his wife. 
Now, why that German gives a fuck who that up to some bitch is in love with, I'm sure I don't know. She's who they want. Why this whole snake oil pitch about Mandingo's in? You wouldn't pay no never mind to no $300. But that 12000 that made you real friendly now, didn't it? Yes, it did. His wife, huh? If it had been a snake, it would have bit me. <laughs> Those lying, goddamn time wasting sons of bitches. Sons of bitches! So, uh, Leo comes back in there. Calvin comes back in there. I'm sorry. And uh, literally, I think, puts on a masterwork as far as communication and conversation, um, including there's a point in time where he is talking with them and he slams his hand down the table. And in doing so, he accidentally puts, he slams a uh, glass, a small glass, uh, glass, like a, a, a drink, a cup, a glass cup with his hand and pierces his hand in real life and continues to act through with blood dripping down his hand. It's a excellent, excellent uh, speech. Bottom line of it is, though, that he knows that um, he knows what's up. He this is when he starts talking about the phrenology of old Ben and know how old Ben was made for servitude for his daddy. And if you look at the the skull of Django, he's probably got the same skull as um, as old Ben. Um, and. Then he brings out Hildy and he's like, why don't we see what she looks like? Because mm -hmm. if y'all think y'all about to get over on me, y'all goddamn out your minds. <clears throat> this is Ben. He's an old Joe that lived around here for a long time. And I do mean a long damn time. Old Ben here took care of my daddy and my daddy's daddy till he up and killed over one day. Old Ben took care of me. Growing up the son of a, of a huge plantation owner in Mississippi puts a white man in contact with a whole lot of black faces. I spent my whole life here right here in Candleland, surrounded by black faces. I seeing them every day, day in, day out. I, I only had one question. Why don't they kill us? <laughs> now, right out there on that porch, Three times a week for 50 years, old Ben here 
would shave my daddy with a straight razor. Now, if I was old Ben, I would have cut my daddy's goddamn throat, and it wouldn't have taken me no 50 years to do it, neither. <laughs> but he never did. Why not? You see, the science of phrenology is crucial to understanding the separation of our two species. In the skull of the African here, the area associated with submissiveness is larger than any human or any other subhuman species on planet Earth. Examine this piece of skull here. <laughs> You'll notice three distinct dimples. Here, here, and here. Now, if I was holding the skull of a of a of an Isaac Newton or, or Galileo. These three dimples would be found in the area of the skull most associated with creativity. But this is the skull of Oban. And in the skull of Oban, unburdened by genius, these three dimples exist in the area of the skull most associated with civility. Now, bright boy, I will admit you are pretty clever. But if I took this hammer here and I bashed in your skull with it, you would have the same three dimples in the same place as old Ben. Hey! Don't lay your palms flat on that tabletop! If you lift those palms off that turtle shell tabletop, Mr. Pooch is going to let loose with both barrels that sawed off. There have been a lot of lies set around this dinner table here tonight, but that you can believe. Mr. Mogi, would you be so kind as to collect the pistol hanging off these boys' hips here? Thank you ever so much. Doctor. Where were we? getting ready to make me a proposition to Babu Hilda. Am I right? Right. Bring out Hildy! No way, huh? Ah! Show your ass in that gun! Ah! Lay your hand flat on that table. Now, shut your mouth! Dr. Schultz, in Greenville, you yourself said that for the right nigger, you'd be willing to pay what some may consider is a ridiculous amount. To which me, myself, said, what is your definition of ridiculous? To which you said, $12,000. Now, considering y'all have ridden a whole lot of miles, but do a whole lot of trouble, 
and done spread a whole lot of bull to purchase this lovely lady right here, it would appear that Boomhilda is in fact the right nigger. And if y'all want to leave Candyland with Broomhilda, the price is $12,000. And I take it you prefer the take it or leave it style of negotiation? Yes, I do, Doctor. You see, under the laws of Chickasaw County, Broomhilda here is my property. And I can choose to do with my property whatever I so desire. And if y'all think my price for this nigga here is too steep, uh, what I'm gonna desire to do is... Take uh, this goddamn hammer here and beat our ass to death with it right in front of both y'all! Easy, big fella. Then we can examine the three dimples inside Pamela's skull! Now! What's it gonna be, Doc? Huh? What's it gonna be? May I lift the hands off the tabletop in order to remove my billfold? Yes, you may. Exceptional beard and his unexceptional nigger. Two things. One, that was fantastic. It's great. Two, like I said, he actually injured himself during that scene, and after it, you see him picking the glass out of his hand. Uh, people gave him a standing ovation for that scene. He didn't break. They said it looked like it was one shot. Mm-hmm. It was. When Calvin Candy smashed his hand on the dinner table, DiCaprio did accidentally crush a small stem glass with his palm and really did begin to bleed. He ignored it, stayed in character, and continued with the scene. Quentin Tarantino was so impressed that he used this take in the final print, and when he called cut, the room erupted in a standing ovation. DiCaprio's hand was bandaged, and he suggested the idea of smearing blood onto the face of Kerry Washington. Tarantino and Washington both liked this idea, so Tarantino got some fake blood together. That's how the scene played out. That's that's great. That's just great. And it 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 even more so um, during the filming of this, uh, Leonardo let them know that he had to stop the scene a few times because he was, he was having a difficult time with using so many racial slurs. And Samuel L. Jackson had to pull him aside, talking about motherfucker, it's just another Tuesday for us. So uh Quentin was very vocal in saying that Calvin was the the person, the only person he's ever written that he hated. Completely and totally. Uh so they uh buy Hildy. Everything should be good, except for the fact that Calvin has to get his victory lap in, and he's like, yo. You're going to shake my hand, right? Like, until you shake my hand, this is not, this this business is not done. And so, uh, Schultz walks away, and he's like, originally I'd say, Avita saying, because that means see you later, but I don't ever want to see you again, so goodbye. 
And that's when uh, Calvin's like, hey, you got to shake my hand. That's how we do it around here. And so King says, yo, are you sure you want me to shake your hand? And Calvin's like, I'm certain of it. So King still has that gun up his wrist, comes back towards him. And instead of shaking his hand, he shoots him right in his heart and kills him. Mm -hmm. Looks at uh at Django and says, I couldn't help myself. Steven, in that meme that everybody has seen, is holding Calvin, crying uproariously over him, mourning his massa. Um, and after that, Calvin's bodyguard kills Schultz. Django kills everybody. Like, he could have taken out the whole house if it wasn't for the fact that he had left Hildy in that room with Steven. And Steven was like, yo, we got your wife. If you don't come out in the next three seconds, we're going to kill her. Period. And so Django comes out and he gets um, placed upside down in a, in, in a barn, hung upside down. And uh, Moonlight, I forget what the name is of the character that Walter Goggins plays. Like, they had a really great cast in this movie. Uh, Billy Crash. Billy Crash uh, is preparing to... He has a blade that is heated up to burning red hot. And he's preparing to castrate uh, Django. And Steven comes out and says, Hey, uh, Miss Laura Lee uh, decided that she doesn't actually want him to be castrated. Uh, why don't you go up there and see what she's talking about? And so then Steven comes in and starts talking to Django and tells him, I came up with a better plan for your ass. Close the doors so he could talk to Django frankly. You leave. This him. What you take with you. Your black ass been all them motherfuckers at the big house could talk about for the last few hours. Seemed like white folk ain't never had a bright idea in their life was coming up with all kinds of ways to kill your ass. Now, mind you, most of them ideas had to do with fucking with your foreign parts. Now, that may seem like a good idea, but truth is, when you snip a nigga's nuts. Most of them bleed out in about mm, seven minutes. Most of them. <laughs> uh, more than most. Then I says, shit, five. The niggas we sell to LaQuint Dickett got it worse than that. And they still saying, let's whip him to death. Throw him to the Mandango. Feed him stone cypher, dog. I said, What's so special about that? We do that shit all the time. Hell fails. The niggas we sell to LaQuint Dickey got it worse than that. Lo and behold, out of nowhere, Miss Laura come up with the bright idea of giving your ass to the LaQuint Dickey Mining Company. And as a slave of the LaQuint Dickey Mining Company, Henceforth, till the day you die, 
all day, every day, you will be swinging a sledgehammer, turning big rocks into little rocks. And when you get there, they're going to take away your name, give you a number and a sledgehammer, and say, get to work. One word of sass, they cuts out your tongue. They good at it, too. You won't bleed out. Oh, they does that for you. They're going to work you all day, every day, till your back give out. Then they're going to hit you in the head with a hammer, throw your ass down the nigga hole. And that will be the story of you, Django. The nigga hole. Sometimes I sit and think about just how much how many vile ways white folks came up with to kill and torture and, 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 and strike fear in black folks during slavery times. Mm -hmm. I can't even wrap my mind around all of it, but until this movie never crossed my mind that black folks would be slaves at places other than plantations. Mm -hmm. And to be a, in a, in a place where your job is to hit rocks with a sledgehammer, which is what they made them do in prisons later on, because as you know, prison is nothing more than another way of slavery. It just, it's, it really did strike me that they gonna have you do that until your back breaks and then they gonna throw you down the nigga hole and just get another one. You ain't got no name, you just got a number. You say one word back, they're going to cut your tongue out. So they sent him, they sent Django off to the LaQuint Dickey, um, the LaQuint Dickey Mining Company. Luckily, some of the slaves that uh, were there with Django when they were riding um, back towards Candyland, uh, he was talking shit to him. Like y'all ain't gonna be looking at me. Um, I'm I'm way worse than any of these uh, slavers out here. Y'all better respect my gangster and uh, don't be looking at me. Basically, did it so well that the slaves, that the black folk, the black men who were with him on the way back to LaQuint Dickey, remember him vividly. Mm -hmm. and was like, nah, he wasn't a slave. He wasn't one of us. He was one of them. Uh, he, he was a slaver. I remember him vividly. Hold on. I like this part. I don't like it, but it is what it is. You got a problem with your eyeball, boy? No, sir. You want a boot heel in it? No, sir. You keep your goddamn eyeballs off me. You flash that bad look at me again, I'll give you a reason not to like me. Now move, nigga! <laughs> you niggas gonna understand something about me. I'm worse than any of these white men here. You get the molasses out your ass, you keep your goddamn eyeballs off me. He is a rambunctious sword, ain't he? <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing about it. King told him, don't be acting like that. But if he act, if he hadn't acted like that, they would have never remembered him, and he would have been on his way to LaQuint Dickey. Mm -hmm. 
as it was, they went in there and asked those uh, men if they remember him. They were like, yep, he takes a gun. He gets because these white men, again, are stupid. He's like, yo, if y'all let me go, there's a there's there's three bounties or seven thousand dollars back at Candyland. Take me back there. You can shoot him. I'll point him out to you. You can kill him. Just let me be there. They confirmed that he's not a slave or that he was there with with King. And they're like, okay, we're going to get rich. They give him a gun. He gets the gun and immediately pops one of them in the chest mm-hmm. and shoots the other two as well. Quentin Tarantino's in this uh, in this scene. Quentin Tarantino had a bag of dynamite and blew up <clears throat> when he because, got shot because he had to go out like that. Because, again, the dynamite is extremely volatile in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Django uh, walks back over to the brother, says, hey, give me that bag of dynamite. And he rides back to Candyland. When he gets back to Candyland, he stops past uh, the house of the the stone ciphers who were the ones who murdered uh, D'Artagnan. And he gets revenge for him. He literally comes in the house. He says, this is for for D'Artagnan, motherfuckers. And shoots them all up. Um rides back towards uh, Candyland, continues towards Candyland, where they're having a funeral for Calvin. When they get back to the house, they've been walking for so long, they tell Sissy, or Cora, and Sheba, who both went to the funeral with them, because Cora's the head lady, and Sheba is, like we said, like Sally Hemmings. And they, uh, Laura Lee sends them upstairs, says, uh, what does she say to him? Hold on one second. They come in the house. The house is still covered in blood from what uh, Django did to all them white people in the house. Like there's blood everywhere. It looks like they just scattered Kool-Aid all over the place. They come in the house. Steven is singing a hymn about, we'll understand it better by and by. Because that's what Negroes are supposed to do in the slave situation. House is full of blood. The door closes. This happens. Cora, to prepare some coffee. Sheba, you help her. Come on. Now, here's my thing. He says, or Laura Lee says, Cora, can you go prepare some coffee? Steven says, Sheba, you go help her. I think Steven saw what Sheba's position was with Calvin. And now that Calvin was gone, he was letting Sheba know in no uncertain terms. Mm -hmm. You ain't nobody special no more. Mm -hmm. You ain't at my level. They were the only two who were at that level. But now that he's gone you back down to normalcy. You you back down to being a slave. You might be a house slave, but you a slave. And so they going up the stairs. And the sweet by and by. And as Steven's singing in the sweet by and by, Django starts singing too. Y'all gonna be together with Calvin in the by and by. Just a bit sooner than y'all was expecting. 
shoots all the white men because again, they he is accurate as fuck. Turns to Billy again, played by Walter Goggins, and he's like, "Last time I saw you, had my dick in your hand." And so he shoots Walter in the, or he shoots Billy in the dick, and then he shoots him in the head. And uh, he says, Walter or Billy says, "Django, you black son of a bitch." <laughs> and Django says, "It's silent here, Billy." The D is silent here, Billy. Shoots him in the head. Tells Cora and Sheba to say goodnight to Laura Lee. Cora says, Good night, Laura. Good night, Miss Lee. And Django shoots him shoots or her. shoots her. She goes flying 50 feet. 50 feet. Like way downtown. Bang. Tells everybody to leave the tells um tells all the black folks to leave the house. Tells Steven, except for you, Steven, you stay right where you are, which is reminiscent of Hey, everybody in here whose limbs I took, you can leave except for you, Sophie. I ain't done with you yet. Where you going? Will you tell Miss Laura goodbye? D do what now? I said tell Miss Laura goodbye. Bye, Miss Laura. <laughs> he shot her and she got yanked into the other room. But here's the thing about him shooting her. No... I don't feel no nothing but happiness for that because the white women who lived in these plantations were just as bad as the white men. Mm -hmm. And the white women always get a pass because they're white women. But you need to confront the fact, white women, that y'all had a place in slavery. You weren't telling folks that this wasn't right. You were profiting from it just like your husbands were. And you were okay with everything that happened in that house. So her getting shot, her being the last person, her being the last white person to get shot spoke to me because that's them thinking, that's them saying the last person you would have ex expected to uh, be a villain in this movie is her because she never actually did anything villainous in this movie per se that we saw. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we know what she did. So they take off. Uh, once they take off, that's where Steven drops his cane, stands up tall, and starts talking shit. And uh, Django shoots him in the, well, shoots him in the knee. It's a great conversation. New duds. You know, for now, I didn't know that burgundy was my color. And when I say that Stephen dropped his cane, stood up tall, and started walking the way that you would expect a man to walk or a person with pride in himself to walk, again, I just want to point out the fact that he had to lower himself to work for Calvin. And when there was nobody else there, that's when he stood tall and started talking Samuel L. Jackson levels of shit. I count six shots, nigga. I count two guns, nigga. You said in 76 years on this plantation, you've seen all manner shit done to niggas. But I noticed. You didn't mention kneecapping. Oh, God! Motherfucker! 76 years, Stephen. How many niggas you think you see come and go, huh? 7,000? 
9,999. Every single word that came out of Calvin Candy's mouth was nothing but horse shit. But he was right by one thing. I am that one nigga in 10,000. You motherfucker. Oh, Jesus, let me kill this nigga. You ain't gonna get away with this, Jango. They gonna catch your black ass. You gonna be on the wanted posters now, nigga. Everybody else is gonna be looking for you. You can run, nigga, but they gonna find your ass. And when they do, oh, my Lord, what they gonna do to your ass? They ain't gonna just kill you, nigga. You done fucked up. Just Candyland, nigga. You can't destroy Candyland. But he can. What he did with that dynamite was he set it up across the top of the, I don't know how he got the, the string to hang there without staples or nothing, but he drew the, 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 the dynamite up in the corner of the um, doorway and lit the fuse and walked out and blew Candyland straight to hell. Mm-hmm. And then he and Hildy get on their horses and ride out. And that's the end of the movie. Great movie. Excellent. Leonardo's the MVP. I was going to say it. I was going to ask who who had it. It was between him and uh, Samuel L. Jackson for me. Yes, Leonardo. He's just amazing. Like, you... To be able to embody a role like that, you have to literally go to another place. And he played that role to a hilt, including the anger that he felt when he realized that he had been fooled. That was just beautiful. The whole thing was beautiful. This movie was everything I needed it to be when I needed it. Mm-hmm. 100%. And, and again, when you go back and you watch this movie, and I urge you all to go back and watch it, and you see just how inept and fucking stupid all the white people in this movie are. It's, it's, uh, it speaks. This movie is on my list of, of favorites. This movie is, uh, it, it, I have it in like five different formats. It'll never leave. Mm-hmm. And I think I'll continue to watch this every single fucking Juneteenth going forward. This is the one movie about slaves that I'm okay with. 100%. So, um, Brandon, you got anything that you got coming up or anything? No, good to go. Okay. Well, the next movie that we're doing uh, to close out uh, this beautiful, beautiful month. Like this has just been a wonderful. I've I've loved every single movie, and so we're gonna close this out with the Hateful Eight, um, which is another awesome Samuel L. Jackson movie by Quentin Tarantino um, that I I've seen twice. And each time that I saw it, I learned something new. So I'm looking forward to seeing it again. And that'll close out Samuel, or not Samuel L. Jackson month. That'll close out Quentin Tarantino month for us. 
part one. We have more Quentin Tarantino movies, but they'll have to wait for another month. Um, thank you all so much for listening. We greatly do appreciate y'all. Uh, please leave a review. Uh, you can leave a review on Podchaser. Uh, you can leave a review on Stitcher. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, just let us know where you left it at. Um, you can email us at uh, hindsight movie reviews R-E-V-U-E-S at gmail.com. Uh, on Twitter, the show is hindsight reviews R-E-V-U-E-S. Uh, Brandon is on Twitter as that cool blick nerd. That's B-O-K. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Rashani, R-A-S-H-A-N-I-I. Um, yeah, yeah. We did get a new review. Um, five stars, solid conversation and content each episode. You need to get this into your podcast player. Um, I'll take that. I love those kind of reviews. Short and sweet. Um, and so we will see y'all next week uh, when we discuss The Hateful Eight. If y'all have never seen that movie before, please watch it. It is literally one of my favorite westerns i haven't seen many but it's it's up there um other than that thank you all so much for listening we greatly appreciate it y'all be good we'll holler at you later peace for hindsight is coffee by cambo smith and it's from the free music archive this is single simulcast